Ramble. If I offered you two different pairs of jeans and I told you that you can only wear one of them, you could probably decide in two seconds. But what if I offered you a thousand pairs of jeans and they're all slightly different and I said you can only wear one of these for the next 12 months straight. This will be your go-to pant of choice. What are you going to do? How do you even start to choose? That's exactly what I felt like when I was combing through thousands of listings whenever we were moving to a new apartment. I would spend hours a day stressing about, is this apartment in a good neighborhood? Is it going to accommodate my dogs? Does it fit my budget? I didn't know any of these. And the worst part is most of the listings didn't even tick all of my boxes. That is why Apartments.com is your best place to look for your new home. Apartments.com lets you filter your search based on whether you have pets, if you want a balcony, built-in AC, whatever it is that you're looking for. The website remembers your search so that you don't have to keep filtering every time you come back. And Apartments.com has more rental listings than anywhere else, meaning no matter how specific your needs are, they got you. And your instant alerts mean that you can spend less time online looking for the perfect place and more time doing you. So if you're looking for a new place to call home, head over to Apartments.com, apartments.com, the place to find a place. Bada bing, bada boom. Welcome to this week's mini so that is on a Friday instead of a Sunday, just this week, because this is part two of a crazy North Korean. This almost feels like a movie. How is this a true crime? I don't understand. If you listen to part one, I highly recommend it. It covers the history, the torture tactics, the prisons, the class system, the Korean War. There's a lot to unpack on that one. It's it's intense. There's a lot of uh, descriptions of what defectors said of their lives in North Korea. I got to hang a portrait of Kim Jong-il on your walls that's dusted every day otherwise prison they could even execute you if they find dust on that portrait it's gnarly but now we're headed into the story of how north korea the dear leader kim jong-il kim jong-un's father had kidnapped one of south korea's best film directors and one of their most loved actresses why well to create movies for him let me drop you into the crime so meanwhile, Shin is getting worried about Uni, but not that worried, okay? So he's focusing on trying to get a visa to the United States to make a name for himself in Hollywood. He starts asking around to his friends before he goes to LA. Hey, have you heard from Uni? She hasn't, she hasn't come back from Hong Kong. It's been weeks. I don't know what's going on. So strange. He calls the Hong Kong office. Hey, uh, just wondering if Uni stopped by. She was in Hong Kong a couple weeks ago. I can't talk over the phone. This is the manager of the Hong Kong office. But you need to come here ASAP. We'll talk when you get here. He flies out the next day. What's, what's wrong? Well, she hasn't been in her hotel for more than 10 days. Her stuff is just there. The hotel's kind of creeped out. No trace of her. I mean, she just vanished. No hospital reports I checked. Nothing. Well, did she meet anyone strange? Did she tell you about anything strange? No, she just told me she met the film people from Hong Kong. Oh, and Mrs. Lee. Mrs. Lee? Shin's freaking out. He never really liked her. Her husband was incredibly pro North Korea, but he wasn't trapped in North Korea. He lived, he was establishing trade between North Korea and China. He did Mm -hmm. visit North Korea often. So he was in talks with the government over there. Strange, but there's no way, right? I mean, something kept bothering him in the back of his mind. Recently, there had been rumors that North Korea was kidnapping people. If you ever got out, they would make it seem like, no, we didn't kidnap you. You defected South Korea. You wanted to come to us. You wanted to join the Communist Party, and now you're getting cold feet. Six months ago, a very famous pianist and his actress wife almost were kidnapped. 
So they had been they had received word that a very rich Yugoslavian man wanted a private performance from the best pianist in South Korea. They flew all the way to his house, and North Korea had paid thirty thousand dollars to this rich family to hide in their house. So that they could kidnap the pianist and his wife, but last minute the couple got cold feet, and instead they went to the U.S. embassy and said something feels off here. I don't know, something's weird. The consul led them to a hotel. Right now, the consul also got a room on the same floor, and waited for America to give him further instructions. Then the couple gets a knock on the door, and the consul says, "Hold on, stay in your room. Let me go out into the hallway and see what's there." And he steps back into the room and says, "There are three North Koreans waiting outside your room." American authorities show up. They help the couple escape via a hotel service elevator. They take them to the airport. They had just narrowly escaped being kidnapped by North Korea. Sometimes it was for training. I'm assuming with this pianist, it'd probably be for training. Sometimes they would、uh, kidnap random Japanese people in Japan and be like, "Okay, well now you're a Japanese teacher to the higher ups who need to do business with Japan." So teach them Japanese. Sometimes they would kidnap people from China. Well, now you got to teach them Chinese. They would try to kidnap intellectuals from all different countries so that they could further their industries, but most of the time they were either released, escaped, or thrown into prison camps because they didn't want to help. Sometimes women were just kidnapped because they were cute, and they were gifted to higher ups for good work. It's said that at least twelve countries had citizens kidnapped, allegedly by North Korea, as far as France, Italy, Jordan. I mean, this is terrifying. So he said, "Do you think North Korea is behind this? What? You're insane! Why would they do something like that? You're so dumb!" And so he reports his wife missing to South Korea and then leaves for Los Angeles. I mean, this guy's selfish, okay? While he's there, he's trying to find work, a visa. News breaks in South Korea that Uni is now missing, and everyone is—you guessed it—suspicious. Of him, not North Korea, because get out of here. It's like one of those things that's like, yeah, I'm sure it happens, but like, really, <laughs> one of the most famous actresses in South Korea, she got kidnapped by North Korea. What's wrong with you, conspiracy theorist? So when he gets back to Hong Kong, detectives are there waiting to question him. You did something with her, didn't you? You were upset because you had an affair. You lost everything. What? What did you want from her? Was she trying to sue you for money? She didn't want to give you a divorce. Is that what was going on? He starts freaking out. He's like, "I don't know what to do. My passport's about to expire. If I go back to South Korea, I'm probably going to be thrown in prison because, like I said, you know, back then it was just not going well on either sides. His savings was going down, and that's when the manager of the Hong Kong office said, 'Well, I know someone. For ten thousand dollars, they can get you a genuine passport from South America, and you can travel practically anywhere. That's like a third of my savings. Okay, well.'" I guess I have no choice. Let's do it. So they get into the car and they go to this meeting. A bunch of guys pull him out of the car with a knife to his throat, and he's thinking, "Ah,、oh, okay, I'm not getting a passport. I'm getting robbed of ten thousand dollars." They put a bag over his head, tied rope around his entire body, cut a small hole in the bag so that he could breathe, carried him to a boat, and passed him out on drugs. So now he's all drugged up, and he's thinking the same thing: they're gonna rob me, throw me in the ocean. But when he woke up, he found out. It was so much worse. They told him they're taking him to North Korea. Oh my goodness! Are you kidding me? So he was taken to a villa, the same one that Uni used to stay at. But because of his arrival, she was taken somewhere else. They had all his cosmetics, made him his favorite foods. He wasn't even in the eating mood, and they told him, "But your favorite dish is cold noodles, is it not?" Is it though? Yeah. 
Wow. Meanwhile, Uni's depressed. Okay, she's anxious. She's miserable. Every single night, she would sneak into her bathroom, turn on the water, sob her eyes out for hours. She couldn't eat. She couldn't sleep. All she did was think about her kids, how she could never see them again, tell them that she loved them. She could never do that again. She still hadn't told them that they were adopted. She was waiting for the perfect time. They would find out through someone else. She had been moved to this cabin in the mountains of North Korea, two hours away from Pyongyang. This house was even more depressing. It felt like a haunted house in the dark. Spent all of her time knitting, taking walks. Her lessons got more and more intense. She was forced to write letters to the leaders. They had to be 10 pages long, perfectly written, or you have to restart the entire page. You have to praise, praise the leaders. And if you don't praise them enough, you got to start all over. You think they read the letters? <laughs> Everyone in the country is forced to write letters, but they only read letters of people that they want to. And oh. Unhee was definitely one of those people. Wow. And they think this is so genuine. So genuine. Wow. Even after kidnapping. So like, genuine. Wow. They really love me. Yeah. Like, oh, man, I really am her favorite person alive. She has totally forgiven me for kidnapping. She actually thinks that uh, she wants to be here now. But her teacher was smart and nice. She just had been heavily brainwashed. Uni would later say that she was a remarkable woman. If she was not born in these conditions, she would have been unstoppable in a free country. She would have been someone great. I mean, she really was that smart, that poised, just had this aura about her. But she had been indoctrinated by this crazy country. So she was forced to write letters to her kidnappers, thanking them and saying how she saw the light. Our esteemed leader who led the defense of our country against Japan and refused to kneel before the United States. Like she would say stuff like that because she was forced to. Now Shin, on the other hand, he wasn't doing well either. He just got there and immediately he's planning his first escape. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to steal the guard's car because there's no non-state issued cars in North Korea. Every car is owned by the government. You don't even learn how to drive. You don't even see the inside of a car unless you've been handpicked by the government to be a chauffeur or to be someone who needs a car. So what do these people do with cars? They leave their key in the ignition because nobody steals cars. There's no way to sell it on the black market. Nobody knows how to drive a car. So he would sneak into the car and drive off, drive to China. That's his plan. His plan was a straight up movie. He would have to steal the car, drive it to China till he ran out of gas, secretly hitch a ride on a locomotive train, walk across a frozen lake and then gets to China with no money in his name, doesn't even speak Chinese and somehow get to a U.S. embassy or a South Korean embassy or like someone. The plan fails because there's no streetlights. He did not account for that. He couldn't. He doesn't know where to drive to. It's pitch black. He had studied a map, but he drives into a ditch. Because there's no streetlights. And oh I guess when you're gosh. accustomed to driving in certain conditions. Well, yeah. Yeah. So Driving on regular roads. <laughs> so he leaves the car, makes it onto a train before it stops. And a swarm of army men rush in and say, are you the one that crashed the Mercedes? He was less than 10 miles from the border of China. Do you guys remember the beginning of last year when there was so much hype around skincare products? They were like, get this and all your adult acne will be gone forever. You get it and it doesn't do anything. And you're like, why isn't it doing anything for me? And everyone just tells you, well, everybody's skin is different. That's how I ended up with a cabinet full of acne treatments and skincare products that I don't even remember what half of them do, honestly. And it turns out most skincare products really don't do that much. The best way to treat acne is with fewer products that are clinically proven and customized 
customized to your skin. That's why I'm so excited to partner with Apostrophe because they are a prescription skincare company that offers science-backed oral and topical medications that are clinically proven to help clear acne. I don't know what it was about my skin, but my skin reacted the best with oral medications. Like my adult acne, that was like the best way to treat it. Apostrophe also connects you with board-certified dermatologists who will create a personalized treatment plan that's perfectly tailored to your unique skin. And it's simple. You just fill out their online quiz about your skin goals, your medical history, you snap a cute little few selfies, and your dermatologist will create your customized treatment plan. And Apostrophe treats acne. Yes, they helped me so much with my adult acne, but they can also hit other skincare goals like reducing redness, wrinkles, and even dark spots. And if you guys have ever tried to schedule a dermatologist appointment, tell me why it takes so long to schedule an appointment with a dermatologist. With Apostrophe, it's so quick. And we have a special deal for you guys. Save $15 off your first visit with a board-certified dermatologist at apostrophe.com slash rotten when you use our code rotten. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash rotten and click begin visit. Then use our code rotten at sign up and you'll get $15 off your dermatology visit. That's A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash rotten and use that code rotten to get your dermatology visit and save $15. And we thank Apostrophe for sponsoring this podcast. They handcuff him, lead him to a hospital in a nearby helicopter. Eventually, he was interrogated. They sat him down and said, you were headed north. That's pretty far north. You were there by mistake, right? No, I meant to go there. Why? Because I can't bear living here anymore. So does that mean you lied in your New Year's congratulatory letters to the great leaders? I wrote what I was told to write. I was writing letters to men I've never met. I thought I did pretty well. They were shocked. They s- drove his ass straight to prison. Yeah, what's what? He, you think he's just so fed up? Uh, I think he's also fed up, but I think he's, uh, you know, I think, I think like I would do that. It's a very American way. Uh. You're like, you know what? Cop, fuck you. But then he didn't realize that prison was not like a South Korean prison or an American prison. It was um, it was something else. He was forced to sit in the torture position for 16 to 17 hours a day where you sit with your legs crossed on a cold, hard floor, your back completely straight, your hands on your legs and your face looking at the door. If you even move a tiny bit, maybe you itch your hair. Maybe you itch your leg where the cockroaches are starting to bite you. Or you try to swat away a rat from trying to bite you or even flinch. The guards will beat you till you pass out for the day. You can only move during the day for 10 minutes, but you're so swollen that you can't really even get up. There's not enough room in your cell to fully lay down. The only difference that he got from other prisoners is when he got too sick or starved too much, a doctor would come in and nurse him back to health so that he could do the process all over again. He had done multiple hunger strikes, he had passed out, and his new cellmate was intrigued. They sent you doctors. You must be really important. They could care less if any of us die here. They always tell you, I tried a hunger strike once, they tell you, a man dies in 10 days from hunger, a woman 15. And you know what? Eventually, everyone starts begging for food. But you? They brought in a doctor on the fifth day. Even the minister of people's security came all the way here because you, this random prisoner, decided to starve to death. You know, I've never seen him before. Nobody's ever really seen him. Do you know something? Do you know someone? Who are you? Mm -hmm. And he would just ignore them. 
Then the guards would come and ask him questions. Psst, can you buy chocolate in the South? Um, yeah, I guess if you have money, you can go buy it if you want it. Yeah, but only the high-ranking officials have authority to buy chocolate, right? No, um, literally anyone. <laughs> yeah, sure. Hey, the wind blows off the roofs of the huts in South Korea, right? The huts? Like in villages? Most in Seoul, we all live in like apartments or houses. <laughs> okay, sure. Ugh, I can smell the capitalism on you. The guards could smell the soap that he had used while he was in the villa. They don't use soap like they don't have these goods. Uh-huh. He's given vitamins by the doctors and the guards said, I heard if you eat those, you never get hungry. What? No, it's just a vitamin. You still have to eat. What? No, that's not what I heard. Yeah, you're supposed to take these like every day. People take a lot of vitamins in the South. Yeah, just the officials though. No, they're sold in pharmacies for pretty cheap for literally anyone. Anyone can buy them? Yeah, anyone can buy them. This guy's a liar. Within a few weeks, he was interviewed by the same people. And he kept saying, I've given a lot of thought to what I did. Okay, I realized how wrong I was. It was a foolish mistake. I would sacrifice for the greater good. Give me a chance. I love communism. Please, please tell our great leader, Kim Jong-il, that I love him. And every time he had to lie, it was easier and easier because he was miserable. Mm. And eventually, he was released. The guards who took care of him, the higher officials, they looked skinny. They looked malnourished. They looked like they had been tortured alongside him. And they looked in his face and they said, don't ever do that again. You don't even understand how much pain you've caused everyone. Why is that? Because th he escaped under their watch. Oh, wow. <sighs> then he did it again. He tried to escape from his villa again. And they looked at him and they said, why did you try to escape and cause so much pain all over again? And he said, well, I don't have my wife or my kids. How can I live here without my family? You idiot. You never requested them to be bought. You could have just asked. You didn't have to do all of this. We could have just brought them to North Korea. What the fork? <sighs> he was sent to a much harsher prison for the next two and a half years. In that torture position, going over every movie he's ever watched, admired, made, or wanted to make so that he wouldn't lose his mind. Eventually, Kim opened up communication and he had to write letters to Kim, apologizing, begging, then started writing about movies, about North Korean films that he would love to direct. Because he knew there was a reason Kim was keeping him alive. The only thing he did with his life was direct movies. It's not because he had privileged information. Then there was a cell plant. You're Unni's husband, aren't you? I heard that she was here too. How do you know her? Uh, I uh, heard her name on the radio. He's thinking that's weird. How do you recognize her, seeing her from hearing her name on the radio? He was alarmed from the get-go and his instincts were right because the cell plant kept complaining about North Korea. Uh, the great leader doesn't even know what he's doing. I hate communism. What do you think, Shin? And Shin would say, no, the great leader is doing everything perfectly. This is the right way. It should be the only way. Honestly, we should take over South Korea and make this whole peninsula communism. And the great leader should be the leader of the whole world. The more he praised the leader in front of the cell plant, the more that he got food. Soon he got so much food that he couldn't finish it all during mealtimes. Which is crazy because he had been starving up until this point. Eventually, they let him out. And this was the great little direction of Kim Jong-il. Uni was back in Pyongyang going back to parties, she was really good at gaining Kim's trust. They had this strange pseudo-mother-son relationship. 
They would joke around. He really seemed to like her, wanted to win her affection and her attention. He started mentioning again after years that Director Shin was coming. She was conflicted because she didn't want Director Shin to suffer, but at the same time, for her sake, because she wants to die, maybe it'd be easier for her. But then what about the kids? Who would take care of the kids if they're both gone? Finally, it happened at a party at the fish house. Everyone kept telling her that day that there was a beautiful surprise. It would be the happiest day of her life. And everyone says, look over there. So she looks and she sees, I don't know this person. She's like, okay, who am I looking at? Is this just another North Korean? And then she looks a little bit closer. It's director Shin, but he looks different. His, he's thin. His face has no meat. And she's just so confused. What's wrong with him? What are all those scars all over his body? This is not the director Shin that I knew. It's been five years since they had seen each other, but he looked like he had aged two decades. So she's just staring. And that's when Kim looks at them and says, what are you doing? Why are you just standing there? Well, go on, hug each other. And the whole place explodes into cheers. And they have this first awkward hug, then a real one. Everyone's taking their pictures. And if they didn't break up, this would have been their 29th wedding anniversary to the date. Was this all planned? Probably. And that, yeah. Knowing him, it's probably planned. Yeah. And at that moment, Kim looks at the crowd and says, from now on, director Shin is my new film advisor. And the whole place is just cheering. The couple is sent home to the same luxury villa that both stayed in in the beginning where they were to share a room and wait for further instructions. But they were always watched by guards. The only place that they could talk was in the bathroom with all the water running as high as possible. They could just whisper because they had no idea if this place was bugged. It probably was. Shin was the most concerned. He was the only one that spent time in prison. Uni never went to prison. But he kept saying, Uni, you look, you seem different you seem to know a lot of people and fit in and comfortable are you brainwashed mm -hmm. and she starts laughing why the movie director can't even recognize acting when he sees it and he said that he underestimated her she was a great actress in the south on screen and in the north off screen from now on both of them had to put on the movie of their lives in order to escape that was the only way the one story that lingered over both Shin and Uni was one that was planted, taught probably by one of the staff taking care of them. There once was a beautiful woman in North Korea. She was the ideal in the country, the ideal beauty standard. She would lead in all the movies made in North Korea. She won awards. She won the highest honor in North Korea called the People's Actress, even was allowed to go to Czechoslovakia to study Western acting. She was sent abroad. Are you kidding? She married a Korean director. They had three kids together, but she was always falling in love with people. So she had an affair with someone on the film crew and the rumors started going crazy and crazy. This woman is sleeping with this person after being married. And one day a higher up confronted her with the rumor. She yelled at them, not the Kims, but a regular higher up official. You guys tried to seduce me too. every single one of you. You did this, too. Since that day, everything fell apart. She was downgraded, demoted, taken off screen, forced to work in the furnace room of the studio. Then out of nowhere, after a couple years, she was back in the lead roles. Nobody had an answer why. You never really, it's not like you just have punishment for a couple years. It's because Kim Jong-il started having an affair with her too. Just like he did with his first, you know, mother of his child who's locked away. 
And at the same time, she was being courted by the son of a wealthy Japanese businessman. So this wealthy Japanese family had generously supported the Kim dynasty for years now. And his son was living in Japan. And of course, because they're that rich, he's just becoming spoiled. So the businessman said, I'm sending you to North Korea so you can learn values of hard work and work ethic. So he gets sent to North Korea. He's working under the Kim dynasty, but like, quote unquote, work, you know, they're not really treating him like an employee. And he spends most of his time trying to start an affair with the lead actress who he had no idea that Kim Jong Il was also seeing. So one day they sneak off in his car to do it. And after doing it, they fall asleep with all the windows and everything tightly closed. When she wakes up, she realizes that the young man had died of carbon monoxide poisoning. And the actress was barely alive when the army came to catch them. She was hospitalized for two weeks and then taken into the city the day that she was discharged where people were practicing for their big mass games, a whole crowd of people. And the lead actress that they had seen on screen was pulled out of a jeep and shot three times. Her body was thrown into a bag, thrown into a jeep and taken into the mountains for wild animals to eat her. All the movies she was in, they edited her out, and the couple knew what they had to do. They could not get caught trying to betray him. This was his lead actress. This was his lover. This was his mistress. They were technically nobody. I mean, sure, he treated them, quote unquote, well compared to other people, but they had to gain his trust. They had to please him. Mm -hmm. They had to please him by making movies. So they watched as many North Korean movies as possible. They needed to make the movies better, but still make him happy, not insult him. And honestly, they both enjoyed the work. Not the propaganda, but this was some normalness to their lives again. They had always been making movies together. This is when they do something crazy, though. They were able to go into a gift shop for tourists that come from other countries. It's in Pyongyang. It's state run. And they have all these. It's like another time warp, like really outdated clothes. It's spooky in there. And there were these old tape recorders for sale, which is bizarre because if you were ever um, had the chance to go to North Korea, you're not allowed to film or take pictures of anything. Guards are watching you nonstop. But they sold these tape recorders. They bought it. They needed to record Kim because they're risking their lives. They needed proof that they did not betray the South for Kim because this was so fresh in the war. If you came out in 2021 and said, hey, I was kidnapped by the North like I'm a South Korean citizen, no one would question you. But in this situation, because it was just fresh, people would think you joined the Communist Party. You were a traitor to democracy. You're a traitor to South Korea. So mm -hmm. they needed proof that they did not run away, that they were kidnapped. So their first dinner, just the three of them, they put the recording in Uni's purse and asked him straight up, why did you kidnap us? And he said, well, you were the best director in South Korea and you were born in North Korea before it was North Korea. Mm -hmm. So it's perfect, really. You're the director and it's a propaganda bonus because, you know, you're like a true North Korean because you're born here and uh, you were having problems at work. We needed to tempt you to get here. So that's why uh, we kidnapped any. Then he went on to complain about how North Korean film sucks because of socialism. Everyone in this country is given everything. So they have no incentive to get better. The actors suck. The film crews suck. Everyone sucks. We want you to train everyone here. And you have unlimited funds to make movies. The first year, I will give you a budget of $2 million to spend on whatever you want. And as it, if it does well, if I like the movies, I can give you more and more every single year. There's really no limit on how much I can give you. Not just for North Korea, though. I want you guys to win international awards for these movies. I don't want to be looked down by other countries. I want the best of the best. You can have as many employees as you want. The whole nation is at your disposal. You can pick any actress, any actor, any film crew, whatever you need. I can get the best gear imported from overseas. They came up with their first movie idea. Kim even sent them to Berlin 
to study their movie locations to shoot outside of North Korea, but they were escorted nonstop by guards. Their passports were confiscated the minute that they landed, and all the countries that they were visiting were communist countries. At one point, though, they did pass by an American embassy、um, numerous times, but there was no way to make the escape. So imagine the pain. You're just walking by this guarded embassy with American flags. You're so close to freedom. Mm-hmm. Yet so freaking far from freedom, <laughs> they don't even speak that well of English, so they're only allowed these joined hotel rooms with doors in the middle, the connecting rooms. The guards would sporadically check up on them, just open the door. Hey, that's when they had this great idea to call a Japanese friend, a director of theirs,、mm-hmm. to get an, their advice. They weren't that close with him, but they trusted him enough, and he wasn't South Korean. There was no way that the guards would let them have any contact with any South Korean. If you guys have been keeping up with my YouTube channel, then you know that my sister likes to come over and knock out specifically on our bed. She will knock out literally for the whole day. Yeah, you could say it's because she's a new mom, or you could say it's my mattress. She's been obsessed with our bed. She says, "I don't know what it is about your bed, but once I lay down, I'm gone for like five, six hours. You just fall asleep. It melts you in. It's so comfortable." And I told her, "Listen, you need to get a Helix sleep. I don't care what you have to say. Just try it out. Everybody's unique." And Helix knows that, so they've got these several different mattress models to choose from. They've got soft, medium, and firm mattresses, mattresses that are great for cooling you down if you sleep hot, and even Helix Plus mattresses for plus-size sleepers. And all you have to do to get started is take their Helix Sleep Quiz that just takes two minutes to complete, and it matches your body type and your sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. We've got matched with the Helix Sleep Midnight Lux. It's a medium firmness. It's very, very cool when you sleep hot. I'm a side sleeper. He's a back. Sleeper, and we both wake up feeling refreshed. Nothing sore. It's such a huge upgrade from what we used to have. And on top of that, delivery and setup was fast and easy. I feel like even my dogs like it too much. And I've been talking about Helix Sleep for so long that it's been awesome getting unboxing videos from so many of you. So if you guys are looking for a mattress, you take the quiz, you order the mattress that you're matched to, and the mattress comes right to your door, shipped for free. You don't ever have to go to a mattress store again. Now Helix is awesome, but you don't have to take my word for it. They were awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired magazine. Here's the best part. They've got a ten-year warranty, and you get to try it out for a hundred nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but I promise you, you probably will. Now Helix is offering up to two hundred dollars off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at HelixSleep.com/rotten. That's HelixSleep.com/rotten for up to two hundred dollars off and two free pillows. So they told the guards, "Hey, we got it approved by Kim Jong Il. We're meeting this Japanese director just to get advice on this one scene.、Mm-hmm. We're gonna meet in our hotel room. I'm not leaving the place, okay?、Mm-hmm. Fine." So the Japanese director comes into their hotel room and they rush him into a corner and tell them, "We're being kidnapped. If we don't reach out in the next six months, take this to our family. It's a secret, please." And he passes them the recording that they had taken of Kim Jong Il. This is an absolute secret. You didn't hear from us, but you have to release this if we're not in contact within the next six months. Why wait six months? Because if it was released immediately, then they're in danger. It's like a you know when there's kidnapping situations, you don't want to piss off the kidnapper. Now the escape itself was not going to be easy. The bodyguards were an elite team. They were not just regular schmegular citizens. Kim picked them himself. He liked them to be orphans. He would wipe their identification from the system. It's almost like they didn't exist. They were never allowed to go back home or anywhere once they were chosen. 
if they grew up and they wanted to marry someone, they could only marry someone that was working as a secretary of Kim's choosing. So you would tell the higher ups, hey, I'd like to get married. They would sit you down, put a bunch of pictures face down in front of you. You randomly choose one. They flip it over. Do you want to marry her? If you say no, you don't get to choose again. So then let's say two years later, because you have to wait two years, you want to get married again. Now you're either confronted with you have to marry this person or you never get married. Or if Kim's having a bad day, we might even kill you for not getting married. So typically they get married. Then they move into a state funded house where the wife lives, but the guard can only visit her once a week. He doesn't live there. The guards are taught from young ages that their entire life is to guard the Kims. Kim even made them watch a movie called Line of Fire. It's an American movie about a Secret Service agent who is tortured emotionally, haunted by the fact that he failed to save President Kennedy. And he said, this is this is the life you should live. Sacrifice your lives blindly for me. Now, Shin desperately wanted to escape, but he couldn't not acknowledge the fact that he was also making films again. So it's really complex for the couple. They were behind the camera again, something that they had been waiting so long to do. And the kidnapper was the one that gave it back to them. It was complex. On top of that, Uni fell back in love with Shin. They started their romance again. And the, the book beautifully states, and I quote, in an environment where separately they had nothing, each found that the other person became their everything. And I saw it must be like, don't they say when you're thrown into this type of uh, trauma, traumatic environment, you yeah. just grow strong attachments? Yeah. Who like who else could really understand you ever yeah. again mm-hmm. except this one person? And it's it's not like they were random strangers. They had already had this connection. Mm-hmm. And this was just I mean, they really fell in love. And every time that they would go to a foreign country and come back to North Korea without uh, attempting an escape, they were awarded gold Rolexes, gold Omega watches, new Mercedes Benzes. I mean, they were just showered in gifts. And working in Eastern Europe also helped the media. Eventually, everyone believed that this couple left South Korea to work on films in Eastern Europe. Because, you know, Kim said once these films, they debut, there's going to be questions from why did the, this family move to North Korea? You got to tell them that you did it on your own free will. Kim really wanted to improve North Korea's image in the international scene. He didn't want to come out with a book or just do an interview. The best way is through cultural impacts such as movies. And they also had nothing to export at this point. They really had no trade going out. They didn't have, you know, resources. They didn't have agriculture. Maybe movies is their export. He also started allowing them to write limited communication to their families. All letters were vetted by the North Koreans. They were supposed to pretend like they wanted to be there to create films, that this was an opportunity, a freedom without censorship, because South Korea had censorship. So they debuted their first movie to Kim, and it was imperative that he liked it. And he did. He liked it so much that at the end, he stood up, clapping his hands. It's like a European movie. And he said, well, do you know the plot line? It was like all about uh, Kim Il-sung, yeah. Oh. <laughs> when this movie comes out, there's going to be a lot of jealous people. That's what he said. And at that time, news broke. Breaking news. The couple missing from Hong Kong were kidnapped by North Korea, showing pictures of them with Kim. The cassette tape with their voice recording letters to their family. Oh, no. Now Kim knew that they had secretly recorded him. I mean, they were done for. They were going to die. That's it. All their hard work, gone. Then the news got worse. It's reported that under North Korean coercion, Shin and Choi are making a movie to be presented to Kim Il-sung as a birthday gift. The film slanders the Republic of Korea and top officials in South Korea. 
This was international news: a bizarre kidnapping from North Korea of a famous film director. They were gonna die. They didn't foresee that coming, huh? No, it hadn't been six months yet. Oh, that friend just got either excited or nervous. I don't know. By that time, it was time to face the music. But when the couple finally talked to Kim Jong Un, he was pissed. I think I know who did it. I think I know who leaked the communications. The guy that I have followed me around, even to all the parties, documenting every single conversation that I have, he probably leaked it to the press. It did not cross his mind that the couple might have secretly recorded him, or maybe his brain wanted to ignore the truth. So he told them, "You guys better pretend to be working in Eastern Europe and not Pyongyang. Go to Budapest immediately and hold a press conference to explain that you weren't kidnapped. You voluntarily came to North Korea and Eastern Europe to work there. You wanted to come to North Korea because you wanted freedom and resources as a film director. I can do that." So now it was time for Shin, the film director, to become the actor, and his life depended on it. So at the press conference, he says, "Kim Jong Il offered to sponsor us without political oppression to make movies for the purpose of national reunification. But then why have you guys been silent for so long? Because of intimidation from South Korea, we had to hide in West Germany. Afterwards, Shin called Kim, and he seemed content. But I think we should take it a step further," Kim said. We should probably get you a more prominent office in Eastern Europe so that it seems more official, like you really have freedom. And that's when Shin took the advantage. Well, since the whole world is watching us right now, it's it's a very critical point. Instead of Budapest, why not a more neutral place like Vienna, in Austria? Hmm. You know that's a good idea. Okay. Yeah, you should get an office in Vienna. So they start planning their great escape. Vienna is probably one of the best places to escape. Why? Because there's a U.S. embassy. There's a lot of political refugees going there.、Mm. It's easier to get asylum for the time being.、Mm-hmm. Technically, they're not an American citizen. You know, their citizenship is all confusing. They don't have their Korean passports. Are they North Korean citizens? Is South Korea even going to want to take them back? They know for a fact America will take them. They don't know if South Korea will take them.、Mm-hmm. South Korea might just throw them in a prison. So they need to get in touch with America. They try to figure out their hierarchy with the guards, because they wanted to see where they stand. So they, they, this was all prepped for their escape. For example, a former right hand man was making fun of Shin, and he told Shin, "Come on, just do as I tell you. I can make better films than you." And Shin slammed his fist on the table, and said, "Fine." From this moment on, I give up responsibility for this film, and I'll report what happened to the dear leader. And everyone sat down, and that man apologized to Shin. So they're trying to test out exactly where they stand and where they stand with the great leader. So their first movie was such a hit in North Korea that they submitted it to the film festival in Czechoslovakia, where Czechoslovakia awarded Eni with the Best Director Award. This would be the highest award ever received by North Korea, and Eni was sobbing with joy. She said she had been isolated, trapped, and kidnapped, and for a brief moment, she felt like she was actually seen by someone. She was actually acknowledged by the world, even a little bit, that she was still there. She was still alive. Then the unthinkable happened. Kim was so happy from this award that he said, "We'll scout out more festivals, more film festivals. Go to the United Kingdom. This would be their best chance to escape." But instead, they had double the guards. They were guarded around the clock, and they had to leave. Then another ray of hope came. 
Kim called them and said, you know, visiting these socialist countries is easy, but capitalist and neutral countries is where we have to think of going next. If you only visit socialist countries, it's going to look like your travel is being controlled by me. And I don't want that. We want to give off the impression that, you know, you're doing this on your own free will. There's obviously South Korean security presence, you know, in these different countries, but we'll be fine if we move you around in a group. If you go anywhere you want, and if South Korea sees that, it'll hurt them. To see you enjoying true freedom as a film director. They were getting closer and closer to escape, but the couple was so conflicted. They needed to go home. They needed to be free with their children. But everyone around them would probably be punished if not given the death penalty just because they escaped. Like all the guards. And they had not the guards, but even the teachers. And they had grown to love a lot of these people they spent time with. These were beautiful souls trapped in a country that didn't appreciate them. If they had been born anywhere else, their lives would have been drastically different and they would have had such beautiful, fulfilling lives and they would have impacted the world in positive ways. Even Kim they had a strange relationship with. He was nothing like the madman the news depicted him as being. He kept his promises. He was a rather funny guy. Clearly, very clearly, he was a sociopath. I mean, no question about it, they said. Like, for sure, a full-on raging sociopath. But sometimes he could be charismatic. Then he said it was almost amazing the way he ran things. He paid attention to everything, remembered every little detail. Don't underestimate him. He kept people on their toes. They said everything that he did, even though he was so smart, there was some childlikeness to him. They felt bad for him almost. Like, you know, when you see, like, you hate those spoiled kids that you see online. But you're like, did something happen to you? Like, something's obviously wrong with you. You're doing this probably because you're insecure. You know, maybe you weren't loved as a kid. Like, you can't help but feel a little bit like, yeah. man, if you're putting this on the internet, you probably are miserable. And technically, he didn't treat them the absolute worst. He gave them back their love, their filmmaking. So they were confused. They needed, one time they had a scene where they had to blow up a train. And Shin was giggling. and was like, well, if you can't get a prop, just give us a real one. And to his surprise, Kim gave him a real one filled up with explosives ready to go. So they had a real train explosion. This was the best scene in North Korean cinematic history. They only had one take to do it right. One of their action movies got Unhee the Best Actress Award at the Moscow Film Festival, the highest honor that North Korea had received. And the couple felt like the movies that they made here actually made a difference. In South Korea, yeah, these people, they go, they enjoy it for two hours, maybe they talk about it over dinner. But in North Korea, they really hoped that it brought joy to the dark lives around them. Maybe it really had a stronger impact here. And Kim became so obsessed that he, he was lenient on his rules. Like the main rule that every movie had to be propaganda. They started having action films, films about love, erotic sexual films with full boobs out, brutal rape scenes. Like more importantly, they had footage of the outside world. And according to the book, a defector said, we watched our films and documentaries and accepted them the way they were. We thought that's how movies are. But after the Shin era, we had new eyes. Footage of Tokyo and Paris. It's not the world that we thought. People were wearing the newest fashion. Everyone had unique hairstyles. There were cars, bars, restaurants. Wow, that's huge. It like really started something. That also started the black market of smuggling in films. And that's when the North Korean people really started seeing, okay, this is nothing like we were taught. But the couple, they're in their 60s now. Their health was declining. Their kids, they had no idea where they were. 
So they had to go. They had to make a bunch of films, but they needed one to debut to Westerners, so that they could travel to Western countries. Majority of them neutral, or you know. So Pulgasari was their version of Godzilla. It was set in the Korean me- medieval times. The farmers are starving. War was raging. This blacksmith, out of boredom, he carved out a small dragon-like figure, and his daughter, his young daughter. Was sewing and she pricked her finger, and a tiny speck of blood lands on that figure, and it comes to life. Because it's made by a blacksmith, it only eats metal. It eats all the iron he can find. Starts growing from this cute little pet to this giant, scary monster with these devil horns. And the monster helps the farmers that are starving by going up against the evil, corrupt governor. And it's action-packed. And finally, the governor is—he uh, tries to kill the monster, but the little girl cuts her arm and puts blood on the monster, and it heals and it kills the soldiers, smashes up the corrupt governor's mansion, and the farmers are now free. And they want to feed this monster, their hero. But they have no tools anymore because he ate it all. They don't even have pots and pans because the monster ate it all. They're about to go impoverished. They're about to lose the whole economy. So the little girl sacrifices herself, gets a giant metal bell and puts herself underneath it, lures him, the dragon, to eat the bell. But he can't digest her, so he explodes into a thousand little pieces, and a light comes down from the heavens and destroys him. And the little girl is found huddling in that shed, crying a single tear. Kim Jong Il loved it. He said the film shows the greed, private wealth, and oppression of the governor. Everything we're against in communism. I know it's really ironic and really hypocritical. And of course, the beast is the party, and the Kim family who freed a nation from oppression.、Mm-hmm. Everyone else saw it. That the Kims were the monster. <laughs> the honest people were starving to benefit a monster. The monster was never satisfied; always needed more. You can only kill the monster by spilling blood. There will be bloodshed.、Uh-huh. That's how the people saw it. That's how everybody else saw it.、Uh-huh. When they later asked Shin, "What did you mean by that?" he said, "Um, it's a pure monster film." So obviously, you know, we can kind of assume. What he meant by that—it really didn't matter because Kim loved it. He said, "Yes, this is great." He even awarded the whole movie staff with deer meat, geese, boxes of oranges. The workers cried tears of joy. They had never seen this much food. Whether you guys are starting your own podcast, whether you guys are starting a YouTube channel, or maybe a website, a small business, maybe you want to just up your social media game. Making content is an essential part of that process, but it hasn't always been a seamless creative process for me. Ever since I found Canva Pro, though, I can design anything like a pro on any device. You guys know me; I'm not the most technologically advanced person out there, and I love the fact that Canva Pro is a design platform that really empowers you to create and share stunning content. In just a few clicks. So whether you guys are already a design professional or maybe you're just getting started, designing with Canva Pro is amazingly fast and fun. You get to choose from thousands of professionally made templates that are easy to customize with simple drag and drop features. Or if you're feeling extra creative, you can start from scratch. Canva Pro comes with endless premium fonts, photos, videos, and so much more that add personality and edge to whatever you're designing. So right now, we're actually in the process of designing a website for my fiance's grandpa, and using Canva Pro has made it so much easier, so much quicker. I feel like even he could start using it soon. They've got this extensive library of tools, features, images, and I mean, there's an impressive variety out there. Virtually endless options. All of this and more in just one subscription. So that means you never really have to pay for another image. Again, you can share, create, organize designs as a group. Canva Pro helps you stay on top of team projects all in one place. No more misplaced files or tedious back and forth with Canva Pro's 
content planner, you'll even save time planning, creating, and posting social media content too. So you pause scheduled posts and edit them at any time. Honestly, that's been my favorite feature these days because I've just got a lot going on randomly and this really helps keep everything on track and I know, okay, this is what's happening now, this is what's happening in a week from now and it makes me feel like I've got everything together. So design like a pro with Canva Pro. Right now, you can actually get a free 45-day extended trial when you use my promo code. Just go to canva.me slash rotten to get your free 45-day extended trial. That's C-A-N-V-A dot M-E slash rotten. Canva.me slash Rotten. Then he wanted the couple to rush it to Vienna to debut it to the Western world. Think about all the stuff they would make. They'd make merchandise. Stuffed animals from this movie. What a capitalist way to think. <laughs> Are you kidding? Yeah. And so Shin said he trusted us 100%. He thought at this point with the house, the money, the studio, there was no reason for us to want to escape. And that is the weak point in growing up in a socialist country. It is easy to fool oneself. In their eighth year of captivity, it was time for the final end scene before the credits, the great escape. And in Vienna, they ran into luck. North Koreans did not book rooms. So when they went to the Intercontinental Hotel, there were no connecting rooms available. And they decided that they were going to meet with a Japanese journalist without the guards. They told the guards, listen, this is a real journalist we're working with. They're not stupid. If we've got all these guards near us, they're going to say you were kidnapped by the North Koreans and you're forced to say all of this. So why don't you guys just wait outside the hotel while we grab lunch inside the hotel? It's going to be fine. So they call the journalist and tell him, meet us at the hotel with a taxi waiting outside. Don't let the taxi leave. The guards are outside. Now the couple goes out to greet the journalist. Hi, welcome. We haven't seen you in so long. And all of a sudden, Shin opens the taxi door, shoves them inside and gets in. Go, go, go. Just drive around the city. And Shin starts rambling. We've been kidnapped. You have to help us. We're trying to escape. Get us to the U.S. Embassy. Please, please, please. So then Uni turns around and she says, oh, my God, that small white taxi following us. There's the North Koreans are inside. So they get radioed, the taxi driver, and it's the other taxi driver saying, hey, uh, the other half of the party, they want to know what direction you're headed. We, lo- oh, we lost you. No. The journalist, quick on his feet, grabs all the cash he has in his pocket, throws it at the taxi driver, tell him we went the opposite way. And he lies. And they make it to the U.S. Embassy, which was five minutes away. They rush inside, leaving the journalist in the taxi, and they're rushed into a room. They're trying to explain everything in broken English. CIA agents rush in, and they start moving the couple from safe house to safe house. Uni slept for four days straight after being rescued. She's, uh, well, (laughs) rescuing herself, really. She was finally getting some rest. The CIA found out that Kim had put a bounty of $500 million on them. What? Yeah. Half a billion dollars? Yeah. I mean, I guess when you have a whole country. And finally, they were transported to the U.S., to the headquarters of the CIA. Then in Virginia, they were placed in witness protection for three years because the CIA needed them. They wanted to learn everything about Kim, his behavior, his likes, his dislikes, his habits, what he likes to talk about, who he really talks to. Did he ever talk about any future goals and dreams and aspirations? The kids were allowed to come and live with them in Virginia. Their adopted daughter had been married. Their adopted son came to live with them. Shin's other kids with the mistress came to live with them too because the mistress at this point, she had been struggling with life and she had been struggling with this drug addiction. And Unhee somehow made this family work. Like imagine how awkward it is. 
The couple wrote a memoir, but mainly Shin wanted to go work. He's frustrated. He wanted to go to LA. He just wished that he wasn't so sick. He wasn't so old. He spoke better English. He had more time. He tried making a few films, but those all tanked. LA just wasn't the place for him. So they decided to take the risk and head back to South Korea. This could end up bad. Because if you were in the North after the war and you return, your ass is grass. You're going to prison. You're a traitor. No questions asked. The minute that they land, Korean CIA picked them up and they were questioned about everything. Are you a spy now? Did he pay you? Finally, they did a press conference because they were forced to and said, listen, we were kidnapped. And people found it so hard to believe. But look at you guys. You guys look sophisticated and rich. You guys look like you had a better life than all of us. You look like you benefited from your life. And did you hear they wrote a book? That's just really money hungry, isn't it? They're just sorry that they got caught. They chickened out of being North Korean and now they want to profit off of us South Koreans with their stupid little book, their little movies. They just want publicity. So people turned their backs on the couple and they retreated into this small rundown house. Shin tried to direct another movie, but it was a flop. He was too old and he passed away on April 11th of 2006. When he was in the hospital, Unni couldn't even afford a car. So she would take these long bus rides that were so exhausting. And the last things he said to her were, hold my hand so I can see how strong you are. And he said, you can go now, Madam Choi. She said, see you tomorrow morning. But he ended up dying that night. Five years later, Kim Jong-il died. And Inhi, who the author met, Paul Fisher met her, um, told him in the beginning she was upset and hated Kim. But now she just feels sorry for him. He was just a poor soul. And she passed away April of 2018. And that is the story of the kidnapping of one of the biggest South Korean film directors and actresses by North Korea. Okay, there has been so much that happened in Korea that even my parents had lived through. Obviously not torturous, but this was like on the news when my mom, she said she was like in middle school and she was hearing all about it. And I'm like, why do I not know anything about stuff like this? Yeah, exactly. This is insane. What a life. What a life. And my dad and my mom are just like, yeah, it was just crazy back then. Like it wasn't even, it was breaking news, but it was that crazy back then that it's just not something you think about for the rest of your life. You're like, do you remember that? Yeah, exactly. Like, this is crazy. So they started reading articles for me to help with this podcast. And they're like, wow, there was actually a lot that we didn't know because <laughs> they were still so young. Uh-huh. It's crazy. I don't even know what to say. This feels like a movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. I feel like I just learned yeah. a lot. So definitely go check out the book because I think it's also fascinating in the aspect that this book was written by a film director. Paul Fisher is a film director and this was his first book. And the fact that it was his first book, I'm kind of shook. His writing is beyond. This is probably, I say this all the time, but this is probably one of my favorite books of the year. Just really absorbs you and sucks you in. And the amount of research and the amount of just meticulous detail that went into his planning, it's out of this world. Like I said, even my Korean parents who grew up in that generation, they learned stuff from this book. I mean, I'd love to know your thoughts. Leave your comments. There's no comments, Stephanie. Get it together. This was probably one of the most mind-boggling cases. How did I not know that this happened? Did you guys know? But I hope you guys enjoyed this week's mini-sode, even though it was on a Friday. And I will see you guys on Wednesday for the main episode. Bye.